Do you manage your own IT for distributed teams in Asia? And you know how painful it is. Esavel helps your in-house team by taking cumbersome tasks off their hands and giving them the tools to manage IT effectively. Get help across eight countries in Asia Pacific from on and offboarding, procuring devices, to real-time IT support and device management. With our state-of-the-art platform, gain full control of all your IT infrastructure in one place. Our team of IT support pros are keen to help you grow. So check out esevel.com and get a demo today. Use our referral code ASIA for three months free. Terms and conditions apply. I think the thing here is that mapping the world is really an infinite exercise. We're on this journey to create that you know, this digital representation of physical worlds, so buildings, places, things, everything. And so it is going to be very critical and that extra precision, that greater resolution as we support businesses to comply with all sorts of things, be it new regulations. And of course, then I think finally, the other key trend is the ongoing rise of AI and automation. And as you have better insights and location that will support those better optimization of supply chains and you know, smart cities and all sorts of stuff that will lean on, on location technology. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the premier podcast dedicated to dissecting the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. I'm Bernard Leung, and making a digital map for the vast landscape of Asia with autonomous vehicles, drones, and other applications is a challenging task. With me today is Jason Jamieson, General Manager and Senior Vice President for Asia Pacific at Hear Technologies. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Bernard. Great to be here. And it's interesting to have this conversation with Here Technologies because I know your previous incarnation, which is NavTech, that was previously owned by Nokia Maps, and it's a pretty big company that actually dedicated in building up the mapping landscape across the world, not just in Asia Pacific. But before we begin, I always like to get to know you and want to know about your origin story. How did you start your career? So firstly, uh, you know, I started my career doing IT consulting, running my own business while I was still studying at university in Australia. And in fact, this was before the internet became commercially available. And my first major client, apart from my father's small business, was the Australian arm of a fast-moving consumer goods company. And really, my job was as an IT geek, initially to help with the rollout of PCs, literally for the first time to their state branch offices. And then as a separate project to help with the ongoing operations of a new executive information system for the managing director and his executive team. And that latter project put me in direct contact with the MD and his direct reports. And that was a really great opportunity to learn about IT and big companies and business in general. And after, uh, it's a bit more than an origin story, but after that, I, I joined IBM Australia after leaving university I'm figuring that working for a large IT company rather than doing IT work at a non-IT company would be better longer-term career path. And so I had a great career at IBM, exposure to many new technologies, lots of international experience, and ultimately rising there to lead a, a number of business units for APAC, including setting up the Internet of Things business, leading IBM's cognitive solutions units. So that was all the AIML, Watson-related divisions, among others, and then IBM's public cloud business. And it was from there that I was approached by here to lead their business in APAC. And, uh, you know, my software background, cloud background, track record of building, leading businesses, I think was attractive to them. Interesting, because I also share a very similar portfolio when I was with Amazon Web Services leading the 
AIML business, but you definitely have an illustrious career working for IBM for a very long time before taking on this current role. I want to know like, what are the most important lessons you can share with my audience based on what you have learned through your career journey? Yeah, so look, I don't profess to be a font of wisdom for all, but I'm certainly happy to share some insights that I've gleaned. The first thing is that I've learned to embrace these key turning points in my career that have led me to another stage forward in my career journey. And these turning points are like moments in time, they're events, they're situations that can really alter the career trajectory, right? But here's the key. You kind of have to be paying attention since the tricky part is that these turning points aren't really readily apparent at the time. Deciphering these things requires reflection and then action. And I'll give you an example. I remember one day I was in the office of the commercial director of my fast-moving consumer goods client, right, working on his new PC. When he asked me out of the blue, what are you doing working in IT? You're too smart for that. And uh, I was really shocked by the question. In fact, even to this day, I don't remember exactly what I said. But I really did reflect on the question and it led me to realize something key. And the generalization that I made from that really simple encounter, I remember this was a junior guy talking with a very senior executive, and this is what really made it a turning point, is that I realized if I wanted to grow my career, I needed to be where the gravitas is in a company. And by gravitas, I really mean where the action is. So at a fast-moving consumer goods company, marketing's a place to be. It's where all the smart folks are. I mean, since that's a part of the business that's at the core of how they make money, the brands, the advertising, the consumer research, the accountability, right? And that's where all the focus and tension is. So IT at a FMCG company is a support function, albeit an important one, but it's not the core. And so the conclusion I reached was if, if, given that IT was my passion, I needed to work somewhere where IT was at the core of the business. So rather than working at a fast-moving consumer goods company in, in IT, I ended up pursuing a career in sales and marketing at an IT vendor. Mm. You know, that was an early insight and there's been lots of other lessons, but maybe just two more. I think the second lesson I've learned is that to grow your career, really to stand out and to be noticed, but without blowing your trumpet. And frankly, I'm hopeless at, at that anyway, is you kind of have to be prepared to take on challenges and roles that others don't want to do. And this is particularly true in large companies where there are safe jobs, ones that folks can do with their eyes closed. You're sure you can be comfortable, but are you learning? Are you growing? And so it, this, this, this lesson might mean taking on roles that are, look really difficult. And I, I think I found that if you approach the role with passion and commitment, you can chart new ground, deliver results and get noticed. For example, I've taken on starting up new businesses, as well as businesses that have been broken and needed direction and businesses that are transforming, companies that we acquired that needed clarity, need an injection of energy and focus. Really the best part about doing those sorts of roles, whether they're big or small, is you get to make decisions to change things. You can try out new things since even a small improvement is better than nothing. And, and doing those roles let me build new skills to grow the breadth of my experience. So moving from one part of the company to other, it also built a broader network of, of contacts. You got to know what I was capable of. And really at some point that network becomes very valuable in helping with job referrals and sounding boards for advice and so on. And then I guess that the third lesson and the final one I'll, I'll share, I think, is that, and this is really mainly for people who are in their early to mid-stage in their careers, and the lesson is that it's important you understand what you like and what you're good at 
and, and this will guide your decisions. But I wouldn't hurry this understanding since you need experience to make sense of it. I started out not really knowing what I was good at or not being confident knowing what I was good at, but eventually learned that communicating, problem solving, setting clear visions, charting new ground, implementing change, they're all things that I happen to be good at. And eventually, you, know, you build a reputation for those things. And, and so those sorts of roles that need those skills and experience end up coming your way to drive your career journey. So thank you very much for sharing these lessons. I think thinking about inflection points and then thinking about taking on the challenges and also thinking about what are you good at and how do you bring together, which comes to the main subject of the day. I wanted to talk about here technologies and digital map making in Asia. I think I know of its previous incarnation because I was also working in the digital mapping space many, many years ago with startup and then subsequently even when I was with Airbus as well, looking for digital maps with drones. So I wanted you to tell me, can you provide me a comprehensive overview of here technologies, its global vision and mission and what it is to set up to do? Sure. That's great to know that you have a background in this. So here, technologies, as you, as you rightly pointed out, actually started as a Silicon Valley startup, startup right, in Aptech. And that was over 35 years ago, before Silicon Valley startups were a thing. And, and we, we built the world's first digital map. But over the we've continued to innovate with advances in location technology. So really what we are now is a location intelligence company. And what do I mean by that? This is really about enabling how people, places, and things relate. And at the heart of all this is, is the digital map as the basis. But here is a, a patent leader in building innovative IP to drive advances in location technology. And we, we've built an advanced location platform, which spans the most advanced digital maps and applications globally. And, and the, the analysts, the major analysts at CounterPoint Research, Omdia, Strategy Analytics, have rated here the number one leader in location services for the past seven years in a row. And this is ahead of players at... Folks might know like Google, TomTom, et cetera. We've got solutions, right, in areas such as in-vehicle navigation or sat-nav, right, along with connected solutions and, and dynamic content such as real, real-time traffic, e-charging points, charging station, parking, as well as autonomous driver assistance systems and this leverages things like high-precision maps that allow vehicles to see beyond the vehicle sensors. And then this overall connected location platform that supports this real-time visibility for solutions spanning fleet management, supply chain, middle and last mile, those sorts of things. And, you know, a little bit more about here is that we are a, a privately held company and have a, a shareholder base across multiple industries and, and, and geographic regions. Most of these were our partners before they decided to become our, our shareholders. For example, Daimler, BMW, Audi are major investors and they provide us a unique access to car sensor data in the automotive industry. But then Intel, the Pioneer, Bosch, Continental, Mitsubishi Corp, NTT are also strategic investors and they're providing us with opportunities to further grow our business across industries and, and around the world. And to, to end on our mission, really our mission is to enable a digital representation of reality to really radically improve the way the world moves, the way the world lives and, and interacts. Mm. I, I think one thing that, given that we have lived in this industry for quite a certain amount of time, I'm, I'm pretty curious, like, what can you talk about the total market opportunity and applications for digital maps and what it really means for the Asia-Pacific region? I also understand that it's no longer just about mapping. It's also about the location intelligence data from what you mentioned about electric charging stations, the roads, the traffic, and also 
some of the key important things that maybe people who need uh, location information need to access the intelligence of the state? Yeah, sure. So look, first thing is like location intelligence, the market size in 2022 is close to 20 billion uh, USD and it's projected to to hit around 50 billion by 2030. And as you point out, you know, the growth in here in the Asia Pacific region is really about trying to leverage this location intelligence for all these e- emerging and, and, and increasingly sophisticated use cases. I mean, everyone talks about autonomous driving and the value of having a high precision, you know, like sub centimeter resolution map is that autonomous vehicles, their sensors don't always sense where they are. And if you know where you are in what lane, at what point in the road, the vehicle has a sense of where it is and it can see beyond the sense as well, right? The other areas are supply chain optimization, right? But the increase of e-commerce that we're seeing globally, optimizing the supply chain, taking out costs, addressing the carbon footprint, so reducing the environmental impact through greater efficiencies and and, and being able to optimize which mode of transport, be it biodiesel, be it EV, be it other forms of of transport, is important. But also that end-to-end visibility is super important. Being able to, for companies losing location now, to give better insights into where parcels are, when they'll be delivered, and that improves customer service. It also allows for better tour planning, the old traveling salesman problem, addressing multiple drops within geographic areas. And this is all around optimization, saving costs. So there's there's many, many examples of, of where we'll see maps moving forward. And yeah, you mentioned drones and all those other things that will continue to, as we move into spatial intelligence, things relate how things relate to each other and communicate with each other in real time around place and position. So there's a lot of growth happening. Yep. Mm. I appreciate you talk about all these very interesting applications, specifically when I think about drones and need to travel in remote areas, even mapping to what you call the submillimeter is extremely difficult. And Asia is a vast landscape because of agriculture and many, many other applications on that. So one, one curious question would be, how are digital maps produced in the Asia Pacific region and then incorporate into here technologies for your customers? Yeah, so the production of digital maps is a very involved process. It's also an evolving one as well. The maps in the past used to be the static representation of roads and geographic features. But now what we're seeing is the base map has become the foundation or the canvas for many rich layers of dynamic content, right? Effectively bringing this digital representation of reality. And uh, this is where being able to process information in near real time is becoming increasingly critical. And, and the, the, the complexity involved in taking vast amounts of data inputs across multiple different sources, satellite imagery, sensor imagery from vehicles driving the road, third-party sources, that government sources on road closures and road works, and then all layering that together uh, is is a very very evolved process, and this is it, it, it leverages very heavily. Whereas here, this leverages MI and ML, I should say, and AI very very heavily. So machine learning and artificial intelligence to automate a lot of the the process there, because it literally just can't scale it by putting an army of people on it. So that's it's it's increasingly automated, and lots of patents involved in in doing that because this is processing 
spatial intelligence and translating it down to a physical representation on a map and all the layers that stick above that. So for example, you look at automotive, what does he do? We provide location technology and mapping solutions to all the major automotive companies around the world and things like those high definition, highly precise maps. And then maps that sit in the core vehicle control systems, like for these automated driver assistance systems, things like there's legislation in Europe called intelligent speed assist. And, and, and this means that you have to know where the speed zones are. You have to proactively alert the driver. Uh, and so those technologies where maps are now part of the vehicle, your car is now an atlas, right? And of course, then there's other off-the-shelf solutions we do, like here navigation, that's the full stack, has map and, and navigation software. And then you look for transportation logistics, and this is all about solving the business challenges that I referred to earlier, right? Basically, the tour planning, how do you optimize the use of your fleet, in other words? Also, supporting digital transformation, so going from paper-based run sheets to digital run sheets and, uh, and digital routes. I mentioned the sustainability piece around optimizing fleets and supply chains. And, and this is getting insights into the carbon emissions for particular routes based on load, elevation, power requirements, all those sorts of things. And then for smart cities, there's a play with maps to make, make cities more efficient um, to address urban mobility. So really making maps is complex, using them because it's, it's that the use cases are expanding dramatically, but really it's about those data-driven insights that can help businesses with all those things like optimization and, and help us get from place to place efficiently and effectively. Mm -hmm. So what is the one thing you know about digital map making that many people who do not know about this business then? <laughs> <laughs> It's there's some serious complexity involved in map making, and use it, it. It uses vast compute. You mentioned you used to work at AWS. Uh, you probably know that here is among the top fifteen customers of AWS globally. We, we use a huge amount of, of compute and storage to ingest the billions of of probe you know, or sensor. It, it's it's terabytes and terabytes in huge numbers of data to. Do alignment, aggregation, conflation, derivation, publication. So, for example, our here map has over 900 attributes that sit on top of the map. It's things like geometry, 3D elevation. It's where the signs are, the lanes, the turn restrictions, the direction of travel, the speed limits. Things like other attributes that might be, say, truck-specific, bridge heights, weight limits. And then there's all these dynamic layers like real-time traffic congestion points and roadworks, road and lane closures. And then there's you know, things like points of interest, places, addresses. And so I know you said one thing, but you know, the fact that it's assembled from a vast number of sources of data, like satellite imagery and the street level imagery, all that probe and sensor data from cars, LIDAR from our vehicles, our true cars that drive the streets. And really it's the complexity in filtering, refining, aggregating it and doing all that in near real time to turn it into published content for our customers. So basically, we're digitizing, I had to say, Annette, basically we're digitizing a big chunk of the real world and doing it in as near real time as possible. Mm. And I think that taking that complexity and really putting it down to just one piece of map where whether it's a consumer business to leverage on in order to make logistics run and make everything go is actually one of the underappreciated facts. And I think that's like the one thing you really know about. So what is the business footprint for here technologies in the Asia Pacific? 
Sure. Well, look, globally, we have about 7,000 people across 56 countries with around half of those here in APAC. So we have our APAC headquarters here in Singapore and we have offices throughout Southeast Asia. We've got offices in Australia, Japan, South Korea, CISA, China, Taiwan and India. And many of the folks in APAC are involved in engineering and, and map making to support our global our global business. In terms of the other aspects of the APAC business, we look after some of our largest customers globally out of APAC, given that a number of the very large automotive manufacturers, for example, are based in places like Japan and South Korea, uh, as well as emerging players elsewhere throughout APAC. So, yeah. Mm. So... Can you share any like customer stories about here technologies in the Asia Pacific? I know you have some very interesting Asian customers. Yeah, we 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 have a lot, and I think the thing is being able to talk about some because a lot of folks like to keep this stuff fairly fairly secretive. But I will say that we've been doing a lot of work around vehicles, and so for example, Vinfast is a the largest, well, it's the EV manufacturer out of out of Vietnam, but the largest in 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 Southeast Asia, and they're using here for a number of things, but specifically using the Intelligent Speed Assist map for their, uh, their European expansion in support of driver safety. And as a company, they've just they're investing multiple billions in the US to build production facilities, and so they're on a very big growth expansion. You know, the other one that we've done is is a motorcycle maker, Aeon Motor, and they're using our here development kit basically to build this safety alerts for their smart rear view mirror, which provides sort of turn by turn route guidance and uh, has a smart dashboard and, and mobile apps to improve the rider's safety. And then, uh, you know, there's a you go to China, we've got the FAW group, uh, and they're using here location services now, our, our maps to expand their um, premium car brand, which is Hongqi in Europe and, and, and the Gulf states as well. And then one of Indonesia's largest digital wallet services company, so the Dana Group, utilizing here location services to broaden their financial services operations, especially in the more rural areas. Uh, and then we're working with uh, Tata Consultancy Services, a TCS, uh, TCS Digifleet, which is a, a solution which provides real-time information and insights around assets and supporting supply chain operations. So I mean, there's many more. I could talk about all the major auto OEMs that we do business with and the major other players who are delivering to every postcode in the, in the country they operate in, but they don't want to be mentioned by name. <laughs> yeah, basically touch every major country in Asia Pacific. So I think the examples were really spot on. So recently, Here Technologies announced the development of Unimap. How did the company decide to develop what is this current product and what is this product differentiation against the other digital map makers in the market? Yeah, well, look, you mentioned earlier the the vast complexity and scale in, in building out maps. And so as map makers, we've really been seeking to reduce the time it takes to detect a real world change and then reflect it in our map. And really the turnaround in the industry has typically been measured in months, right? But with Unimap, we provide access uh, anytime to really this unified map that's refreshed in hours, minutes, in some cases, even seconds, telling us how the world is changing. And so this is really huge in the map making industry, and it is a major differentiator for here. If it, essentially, Unimap is, is, is this core engine, but it's a major leap forward around how maps are created, updated, uh, and uh, maps are consumed. And so we've built this system from the ground up, leveraging 
our deep expertise in building the world's first digital map and map making and all the location technology that we've gained across the past almost four decades. And so this automation is super key, right? And it can process and conflate spatial data from pretty much any source and then produce a map that's unified and semantically aligned across the different representations like a standard definition map, a high definition map, the, those ADAS, the automated driver assistance systems, stuff that they're in, in vehicles. And really no one else can make maps in this such a highly automated way. And look, we've been at this for several years and we've been working in really close collaboration with some of our investors and including the automotive partners. And they essentially have the most demanding requirements of, of, of map data of any enterprises, right? Because they want autonomous driving to work. And so ultimately, though, Unimap will produce a map used by all our customers, right? Bringing these great improvements in content freshness, coverage, and, and really high quality. Mm. Is it something like an app platform where even businesses can build on top of it or even using it? I think the question I really am asking here is how does a business benefit from using or building on Unimap? Yeah, so so I, th I think the important thing to note is that Unimap is kind of the secret source that underpins our location platform. So basically what it can do for our customers is it can really transform as it practically any spatial data into map content. And it does this in a really automated way. The, that then means customers can use our location platform to get access to all those, those hundreds of attributes that I talked about earlier to, to build the sorts of solutions that they need. Um, as the world keeps evolving, right? So as, as Unimap progressively as it continues to come online, it'll be covering a whole content portfolio. And we will be externalizing that Unimap capability, right? So in other words, we do want our customers to be able to use Unimap to build their own private maps, right? because this is another area where we're seeing a lot of a lot of potential. I mean, if, if you could make map making simpler for others, there's so much more where you can get maps scaled out, it can be yards, it can be big, I mean, indoor facilities, which is being done as well, et cetera, that it, you reduce those barriers. And so it makes location seamless from the macro right down to the micro, right, in terms of being able to get really high precision anywhere you are. So really, it's going to become a place, right? Unimap's going to really become a place where this can, can get map making technology and location tools that they need to source and create manage, deploy their own maps and customized services. And, and that'll all be enriched with their data as well as ours at global scale and in a really privacy-friendly way. Mm. So I'm going to switch gears to discuss mm -hmm. a little bit on the broader landscape for digital map making. I think one interesting thing, because I've also seen some very interesting applications building on top of the layer and the increase in precision, for example, in where I used to work, with Airbus, we were looking at using satellite map-based data and then followed by drone imagery. And there are all different ways of layering the data. I'm curious, can you share what the present state and key trends in digital map-making business are like and how they have evolved over the last decade? I think the first thing is until fairly recently, map-making had been focused on generating the static content. And really, we're transforming the industry now and by moving to this real-time or near real-time content production. But there are a number of key trends, right? Autonomous driving, sustainability, supply chain automation, supply chain optimization, and so on. 
And really, this is all in line with the evolution over the past 10 years. And when you're talking about static, 2D, that long interpretation of the world, right? But really, today's technology is much more advanced. People expect a lot more currency, a lot more dynamic information. And so we're seeing that if you can combine what we know about where things are with the ability for that information to react and adapt to changes in the environment, we start to see this move forward. And so that's really where we're going next, the world of self-driving cars, drone deliveries, smarter cities. You know, these are all going to require uh, the technology to shift from even location intelligence to spatial intelligence. So if, if I don't know, confuse too much, but if location intelligence is how things go from A to B, then spatial intelligence is how those things interact with one another and the world around them on the way. And I think the thing here is that mapping the world is really an infinite exercise. We're on this journey to create that you know, this digital representation of the physical world, so buildings, places, things, everything. And so it, it is going to be very critical and that extra precision, that greater resolution as we support businesses to comply with all sorts of things, be it even new regulations. And of course, then I think finally, the other key trend is the ongoing rise of AI and automation. And as you have better insights and location that will support those better optimization of supply chains and smart cities and all sorts of stuff that will lean on, on location technology. So I think it's very exciting. It's becoming more accessible. It's becoming more current fresh and it'll be a lot more pervasive and and hopefully seamless mm. and i think i can also share that thinking about for example in unmanned traffic management or utm and sometimes i explain to aviation officials this that now currently we are only seeing like two three hundred planes landing and uh, flying off from say Changi Airport from Singapore to the rest of Asia. But then think about now you have like two orders of magnitude more of drones flying around and then suddenly they have to rely a lot on the digital maps that you produce as well to, to think about that, that complexity of even trying to get that infrastructure. I yep. think it's very underappreciated by a lot of people who are using these things and take it for granted because a lot of these uh, communication systems have to work. Yeah, the drone to drone and then that extra resolution and precision because as you have more vehicles flying right you, you're going to have narrower corridors within which they can operate and you've got to have that precision right so yeah i mean it's it's that's that's how it's changing it's becoming very broad brushed down a lot more precise a lot more granular and then of course there's the indoor piece where everyone is also going in and trying to use slam as part of the framework to do the the indoor mapping. I, I, th I think the landscape of mapping itself is actually bigger than I, I would consider the 20 to 50 billion business, but actually has a wide, wide range of use on that. One curious okay. question coming back is that given that a majority of the landscape in the Asia Pacific is actually in remote areas, right? How do we actually accurately now map these areas then? Well, so. This, this is is one of the things where we use many, many sources of data, right? And so we have this thing, this concept called ground truth, and that is the reference, the definitive view of the world. But you go click ground truth once in a while. So then you can look to other sources, right? So things like satellite imagery is actually very readily available and very high precision. And if you can merge those two together, 
you can you can really build a very fresh and accurate view of what's going on. So things like mapping remote areas and all these hyper local routes is 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 increasingly happening. Um, I mean, here, here is only one of, of a number of players are doing that. And really the importance is that these maps have to be accurate. They've got to be updated. The, what we're seeing is that major roadways, these take time to build. So they're relatively static, but back alleys and side streets can change overnight, right? And then that's that dynamic piece of road closures. So really the challenge is to make sure the maps remain fresh and there needs to be really robust control over the accuracy of those hyperlocal maps because what was there yesterday might not be there today so this is why high degree of automation is going to be absolutely critical right and that's that's really how we create and update our map content with all those with all those updates and it's an ongoing ongoing journey right we're learning as mm. we go mm. okay so i'm going to flip it a little bit differently by thinking about the rise of decentralized technologies, like for example, blockchain technologies, where what are your thoughts if let's say there is a web tree company or blockchain company challenging the current digital map making space? I think the big map makers, like for example, yourselves are here to stay, right? But I think that there is there is a movement now towards trying to do useful map making for say communities through token that they can put strap users online. I, I, I think even that you have been technology leader for the for this few decades, you probably have seen a lot. And how do you think about it? Well, look, you're right. I mean, there is a lot of buzz in the industry from Web three companies creating these community owned maps. They're near real time, like Hive Mapper, and exactly as you mentioned, right? They're gathering data from drivers such as via dash cams, and they're trying to reward drivers and map editors with tokens and try and generate loyalty that way. And that's that's a a, a, a novel. A novel way of doing it, and it's it's important, right? And in fact, we partner in parts of APAC with companies who have done similar things, so that we can get a more accurate map. And really, for us, a lot of these innovations. I mean, the world is increasingly digitizing, right? I mean, things that were analog are becoming digital. I mean, maps that were static and paper based are now digital. Now they're alive and real time, and all that sort of thing. But really, for us, it validates the, the industry we're in, and it keeps us really focused on constantly innovating to provide the best for our customers. And you know, what what we do know is that a map making is really time and labor intensive process, and there needs to be some pretty. If you're using it for what I call mission critical applications like uh, autonomous driving, you've got to have that centimeter level precision, and there has to be this assurance that that what you're using is truly accurate. You can't afford mistakes to have lanes in the wrong place and the car drives it so that that centimeter level precision is critical and so this is where i think that our platform and location analytic capabilities all our years of experience is going to still be relevant as you as you mentioned at the start of the question and as i said the, the analysts are still rated as number one platform and so we're, we're pretty confident that we're well positioned to capitalize on growth momentum and i think your point on ground truth is definitely spot on because then there's always the the, the the starting point of building on the layer of the map, you can also incorporate these so-called potential disruptors within the space itself. So yeah. I only have one final question for you. What okay. does Grid look like for here technologies? Oh, well, where do I start? Look, I'll keep this really simple. I think delighting our customers with the best possible products to solve the challenges and offering them the best possible customer experience. And, and really that's what we strive to do 
every day. I think if I had to expand on that, it, w- it would mean continuing to be the, in all these emerging fields, staying abreast of all the changes and embracing these this, this change that we're seeing, right? I mean, we're not, not reacting against it, but going with it. I think that is what makes a really successful, what makes a great company. So mm, focus yeah. on customer, focus on innovation and always be moving, right? Mm. And I'm looking forward to see more interesting maps coming out because I know this is an extremely difficult challenge, even for any of the big companies out there. So Jason, many thanks for coming on the show. I definitely will want to speak to you again. In closing, I have two very quick questions. Number one, what recommendations can you give that have inspired you recently? So look, I talk about, I've talked a lot about mapping, but there is one thing that's really inspired me recently is some of the advances we're making, and this is a bit left field, but you know, in space exploration and our scientific understanding of the cosmos. So the James Webb Space Telescope effectively is mapping the early universe, right? With all those yep. incredible deep field images that pioneered the ultra-low optics and infrared almost at absolute zero and peering back in time to literally the earliest stages of, of, of the universe. And I think these discoveries that the, that will come from this will change our understanding of the foundations of physics, dark energy, dark matter. And then the other thing would be just recently the, the, the progress on nuclear fusion, the announcement, I think it was November last year, the National Ignition Facility in the US, you know, the Lawrence Livermore uh, National Laboratory, right? They were able to get more energy out of a nuclear fusion process than had been put in. And that is a massive breakthrough and things are only going to accelerate. And that means that the promise of almost limitless and effectively zero emission energy is closer than it's been ever. Mm. Thank you so very much for your recommendation. So how do my audience find you? Just on LinkedIn, right? Jason Jamison. You can just Jason Jamison here or Jason Jamison Singapore and uh, they'll find me. Mm. I only have two hours from all my audience. You can definitely find us on all podcast platforms. Just subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's one. And number two, subscribe to our newsletter which I'm now basically summarized weekly, monthly highlights for all the listeners out there, for all the podcasts. In fact, you also before the month of February, Jason. So many thanks for coming on the show and I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thanks very much, Bernard. Been great chatting with you. 